Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Hey, hey, that's me. Yeah, come on, give, give Brand a big hand and don't sit down till you greet a couple people. Touch a, people, a couple people, just say good morning, tell them your name if you've not met them, greet them in the name of Jesus, just declare the peace of God upon their lives, just declare the peace of God upon their lives, <laughs> hallelujah, yep, I want to, as you, as you, you know, kind of make your way to your seat, no rush, uh, I want to reemphasize, we're going to have intercession tonight, we're going to pray in tongues for a while tonight, amen, right. I just, I just, I am, uh, the, the, the mystery the mystery. You can sit over here if you want. If you want your own, there's a whole row right here. Just you or sit there. Whatever you want to do. Hey, the mystery of the kingdom. We um, uh, part, part, part of part of part of the challenge of Western Christianity is twofold, and, it, and it's 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 really bewildering that at the very same time Western Christianity is completely devoid of mystery, and at the same time is completely ignorant of Bible truth. And so they're uneducated, yet still don't have mystery. It's an amazing kind of paradox. What we've done is uh, we have distilled the Christian faith into what we think works. And then we have centered on what we think will work to get us what we want. And call it Christianity. Now, I love the church. I love Jesus. I got nothing against the church. I happen to work at one, right? And uh, so I'm for the church, but I'm also for reformation. I'm for things changing. I'm for people learning. And I'm for people coming to peace with the fact that there's stuff that falls under the category of mystery. And in the scriptures, we see, we see tongues three, three, three ways, basically. We know on the day of Pentecost that the Spirit was poured out and people began to speak in tongues. And there was like a sign to unbelievers with these tongues because there was something happened that they knew the gospel in a way they didn't know before. And we see in 1 Corinthians 14 that people have this kind of a, a tongue where you don't know what you're talking about, but God does, and it confuses the devil. I'm going to say that again. God knows it, but it confuses the devil. I think some of, some of the devils in, in some of our lives know a little too much and need a little confusing. I'm going to keep, I'm going to repeat myself until we just kind of interact here. See, like it's call and response. I talk, you talk back. All right, are we, are we at the same? Here's what we'll do. Act like you're 13 and I'm a parent and I say anything. And then you talk back, right? See how that works? Like, that's how, that's how that works. And so, there, so, so there's that tongue. And then there's the tongues uh, that talks about, um, that is assigned to unbelievers, that is spoken in a meeting, and someone interprets, and it's a prophetic word. Uh, but we're going to pray in tongues tonight. We're going to pray in tongues. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna upset the kingdom of darkness. I'm not focused on the kingdom of darkness, but it needs a little upsetting in these days. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm having too many conversations with people who, who are hearing the kingdom of darkness better than they're hearing Jesus. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm, and people come and they'll say stuff. I'm like, wow, that's, um, you know me, right? You guys know me. I love people. I love God. But I just want to be like, do you understand how stupid that is, what you just said? Like, like I've taken classes in logic and I can like draw on a board 
mathematically how that's stupid, right? Like how it doesn't make any sense at all. I have found over time that that is not how you win friends and influence people, but, but it's true. I'm like, that just, it absolutely doesn't make any sense, right? Um, but that's, so, you know, this is, this is, this is like God always wants to work in our lives uh, for the better, right? God is always working in our lives for the better, and, and there used to be this teaching, and if you're around in the 90s, and the, uh, there was this teaching, and I was in the 2000s, I got saved in the mid-90s, and uh, uh, there was this, 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 this thought about God's perfect will and God's permissive will. Have you ever heard that kind of teaching? Like, there's stuff that God will allow you to do, but then there's something that He really wants you to do. And it was really goofy, because it was like this qualification of following God, and really... God is like, God, God has, I believe God has a plan A for your life, uh, but he also has a B, C, D, D, E. I'm like, whatever you do, he's like, oh, I got a plan for that too. Well, yeah, I got a plan for that too. Amen? You're like, oh, I've ruined God's plan. No, 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 I got a plan for that too. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm God, right? I can, like, there's nothing you can do that God can't work with, right? I mean, now you may find yourself in a season of reaping the consequences of your own actions, right? Like, that is part of it. But even in that, God is working. God is working here today. There's no coincidences in the kingdom. It's not like, oh, wow, I, I have, so many times people come and visit and they'll be like, you cannot believe how that word was for me. I'm like, actually, I believe it entirely because I heard it from God and you were here. So like, yeah, that's, that's, he's God, right? And God does something supernatural that I like study all week and I prepare a message in prayer, and I think I know what I'm communicating, and what somebody hears is complete. I'm like, did I even say that? And they're like, that was the word of God for me. And I'm like, God knows. God knows. There better be something supernatural happening in church. Otherwise, we're just putting on a good movie, right? Like, there better be something bigger happening in the prayer life. There better be something bigger happening in Bible study. There better be something bigger happening in our fellowship, or we might as well just go start a kickball league or, or, or just have a barbecue at the park, right? Because at least I get some food that way. Like, there better be something more supernatural happening in church. Come on, somebody. And, 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 if, and if you can have a countdown clock to everything God's going to do that day, you didn't actually hear God. Um, I didn't mean to say it like that. I just, I just God, God, at best, God gives us a pencil to plan our life. At best, with a big eraser. At best. He's not giving anybody a pen, let alone a permanent marker. Right? He's given us a pencil with a big eraser, and he's like, have fun planning. Right? I'll let you know when we get there. It, but but there's, no, there's no coincidences. I was, um, I was at a birthday dinner uh, this week for someone, and um, it was really, really, oh, there's Mike having a good time back there. I just hear him in the back, just hallelujah. Uh, don't you like children's ministry workers who are filled with the Spirit and love being with our kids? Yeah. Don't, don't you love that? I mean, I want them to be safe. I want them to have a good time, but I want them filled with the Holy Ghost. Not weird Holy Ghost, not strange Holy Ghost, not legalistic Holy Ghost, but man, connected to the Holy Ghost. Shabbat. Hallelujah. Okay. Okay. That's, 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 um, I digress. So I'm at this birthday party. You know, nothing, nothing is a coincidence. And um, at this, it wasn't a party, it was a birthday dinner. And uh, somebody there was Catholic, and it was on Wednesday, actually. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to have fish because it's Ash Wednesday. And I'm like, Whatever, you know, do your thing, right? And they're like, uh, they had said that ahead of time. Okay, 
And um, we got to dinner, and I was like, hey, did you go to Mass for Ash Wednesday? Because they didn't have the ashes on their forehead. And they're like, all these things had come up, and they couldn't come. And they said, you know, they know I'm a pastor. And they said, can you bless me for Ash Wednesday after dinner? And I was like, okay. You know, like, <laughs> I got the Holy Ghost, right? I'm saved. I have been sanctified in the ministry. Sure. And so I was like, yeah, why not? You know, I let, let, you know, let's do this. I mean, how hard could it be, right? So what's funny was, so what's funny was, as we, as we for those who don't know, uh, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent, right? And so um, on um, Fat Tuesday, now this is really, this is kind of the weird part. <clears throat> on, on, on during Lent, uh, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, Lent is uh, 40 days, not including the Sunday, uh, between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And so basically, they're preparing themselves for the resurrection. It's kind of commemorate Jesus' 40 days of trial in the wilderness. And, uh, and so when people, here, here's how things get religious. People know that coming on Lent, they give some things up. And so they had decided uh, on Tuesday they would party before Lent. That's where Fat Tuesday comes from. It's kind of like one of those really evil bachelor parties or bachelorette parties where people do all kind of debauchery before they come into a covenant of love. Like it just, it, this is when you have lost the meaning of things, right? Right? But that doesn't take away from what this person was committing their heart to Jesus for, for Lent, right? The fact that some people have perverted it and become religious doesn't take away the power of a person saying, I want to consecrate myself for 40 days before Easter. You, you, you see that. And so here, here's, here's, here's how I knew God uh, was talking. I said, um, I said uh, uh, this week, uh, I knew a lot of my friends are liturgical and they were getting ready for it. And I said, let me just do a study. I decided in the last two weeks, let me do a deep dive into Lent and figure out what Lent is all about. Like, I, I don't understand it. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I know the ashes. I don't get it. And so I, I just, I spent like a good portion of time the last couple of weeks studying what Lent is, what Ash Wednesday is. And then I show up at this birthday dinner, and someone says, can you bless me for Lent? And I'm like, actually, I can. Actually, I can. And so on Ash Wednesday, um, and, and, and I always called it just a Catholic thing, right? Because my family comes from a Catholic background, so I just called it Catholic. Little did I know Christians all over the planet, except for us, uh, celebrate this thing, Right? <laughs> When everybody, when, you know, like when people have been doing things for a very, 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 very long time and they find life in it and you think you're better than it, it's time to check your heart, right? And so I'd like studied. I'm like, oh, kind of makes sense, right? And so, uh, so, so what happens is a person goes to um, Lent Mass, or excuse, yeah, uh, Ash Wednesday Mass, and, uh, and, and what they do is they get the, uh, uh, on, on Palm Sunday, you know, uh, these churches will have palm fronds on Palm Sunday where they... Usher, that's when Jesus came into Jerusalem getting ready to be sacrificed. So on Palm Sunday, they'll have palms. They'll keep those palms. They'll burn them. They'll make ashes out of them. And they'll anoint people with those ashes for Ash Wednesday, right? Preparing for, it all kind of comes together. It's like a church with a purpose, right? Kind of neat. Uh, and so, um, and so the, the priest will say this. Um, go ahead and put it up there. He'll say, repent. He'll say one of two things. He'll say, repent and believe in the gospel. I could go with that. Right? Like, I, I, I say that, right? Or they'll say, and this is the more common one, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And we're like, well, that's not as encouraging. That's not as encouraging. 
But here's the funny part. We live our lives avoiding death. We live our lives like, I saw this picture of, of Madonna who's trying to stay 22. And she's like 62, right? And she looks, I don't know, not, not young, right? And she looks like someone who's trying and God bless her, I'm not judging Madonna, I just, forgive me Jesus, I'm, but, but like, we want to act like we're never going to die, but we are. Every one of us is going to die, right? Every one of us is going to live this life, and the only thing we're going to take with us are the relationships we've made here and the good works we've done for God. That's it. That's all that goes with us. None, none of the likes, none of the popularity, none of the money, None of the fame, none of the success goes with you. And we live our lives trying to avoid pain and we try to avoid death. And Jesus is like, guess what? I conquered death. And we're like, oh good, I get to go to heaven. He's like, no, 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 you don't get it. All fears on earth lead to death, ultimately. Everything that terrifies you at night somehow leads to death. And Jesus lets you know, guess what? I have conquered death. You can live without fear. This life that we live is but a twinkle. In light of eternity, what happens here, whether you make 80000 a year or 60000 a year or 110000 a year, in light of eternity will mean nothing. From ashes you came and to ashes you will return. Jesus died on a cross. He came on that Palm Sunday, was tortured, crucified, died, and was resurrected. He conquered death so you don't have to fear it. Amen. Amen. So Lent, it's a 40-day period that comes before Easter in the Christian calendar. It's a season of reflection and preparation before the celebration of Easter. By observing the 40 days of Lent, Christians replicate the sacrifice and withdrawal into the desert for 40 days. I had been studying this. And so at the end of dinner, I, she said, it was kind of funny because she said, get some dirt and anoint me. I was like, okay, let's do it, right? And so I, I just declared to her, from ashes you have come to ashes you shall return. And I experienced the Holy Ghost of God. And my wife said, did you just put dirt on that woman's forehead? I was like... <laughs> In fact, I did. I didn't spit on her, right? So I'm not that Christ-like. I don't have that kind of faith, right? But, but, but by the anointing of God, this woman experienced Jesus through a human body by her faith. And I'm here for it, amen? I'm, 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 I'm here for it. And so this brings us to our reading today as we're working our way through the book of Luke. We're here in Luke chapter 14. And as I'm studying Lent, and as I have this experience, I get to the scripture for this week, and I find myself in verse 7. And this is Jesus talking. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at a table. He's at a dinner, invited to a dinner, and people are kind of jockeying to see who gets to sit at the head of the table. Right? Because that was a big deal for them. Like, who, 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 who are you really? How, how cool are you? How important are you? How special are you? That's, this is American society, right? It's important. It's important, follower counts, bank account, corner office, retirement fund, people jockeying for the best, right? When he noticed how 
these people picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Parable, of course, is a story with a point. He said, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited, invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But, say but. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Say amen to the reading of the word. Yeah, I remember when I got saved, I got radically converted in my mid-twenties. I lived a heathen life. Uh, I was a really good heathen. I mean, like, by good, I mean I did it really good, right? Like, I, I knew I was a heathen. I knew I was living an ungodly life, and uh, I, just, I just excelled, right? Like, I've always excelled at things. I've excelled at it, right? And so, um, lost people would tell me, you got issues, right? So, that was, that was me, and I wasn't looking for God. Um, I thought I knew God. I thought I was walking with God, and then I had this encounter with the living God. When I had this real encounter with the living God, with the Holy Ghost of God, I got sovereignly baptized in the Holy Ghost and began speaking in tongues, wasn't looking for it, never heard anybody speak in tongues before, but the Lord had pierced my heart and instantly I knew that Jesus Christ was real, that what I was experiencing was real, that God is alive and instantly an entire new kingdom had been opened to me. It is like I had been walking in a fog my whole life, and now I could finally see the truth. And I came to a couple conclusions when that happened. The first thing I realized was I thought I had life figured out. Now I realize I don't really know anything because there's an entire aspect of real life, life that is found in Christ Jesus, life that is found in our Creator that I did not know. Therefore, the life that I had known in the past was not real. I had known an illusion. Now there's real life, and I'm like, I don't know anything about this. The second thing that occurred to me, once I saw this kingdom of God and the real life that was out there, I was bewildered how people knew about this kingdom and didn't live for it. I absolutely could not understand if you encountered the love of God and He showed you the demonic realm and He showed you how God is for you, how could you turn to something else? I could not figure it out. Now, at the time, I didn't, uh, you know, there's a work of grace that happens after conversion. Uh, What's funny is you thought you had it figured out, and then you meet Jesus. Now you think you really got it figured out, when really you've been led into a room that you know nothing about. And so that's why you begin evangelizing so aggressively, but so harmfully, right? Like, you're inviting people into a kingdom you know nothing about, but you know it's good. And God uses that ignorance to get a lot of people saved, right? Amen. It just, just that's that's your good God. He'll even use my stupidity to help people. It is, it's amazing. It is just amazing. And so I just everywhere I went, I just was like, you are going to encounter the kingdom today. You know, like, like I'm ministering to people, and they're laying on the ground, and they're like just trying to cook pizza at Pizza Hut, right? Like, but I'm I'm behind the counter, laying hands on people, casting the devil out of them. I'm like, you need this kingdom, and they're like, there's customers. <laughs> 
But I, I was like, but do you need this kingdom? This kingdom is real. This is real. Do you get that it's, it's, it, it, it's real? And, and, and Jesus was like, you know, you know there, there's going to be miracle signs and wonders when you minister to people. It's super important. It's super important that you figure out how to use this to further the kingdom, not to continue to want what the Pharisees had through God. It's super important that there is already an entire system in place that you become rich and famous. It's super important that you don't use Jesus to get there, he was telling them, because it corrupts. It is corrupting and it corrupts and it doesn't serve the purpose of God. And this message that Jesus preached about this is as relevant today as it was in the 1800s, as it was in the 1500s, as it was in the 1200s, as it was when Jesus walked the earth with the Pharisees that Brent taught about earlier. It's just as important today. We're watching it play out in Europe right now, where we have one global power who has gotten a religious leader to bless his power struggle to overcome other people with their own religious leader. It's as important now as it was then. But Jesus, Jesus taught them, don't, don't, don't think about how your life is going to work out. This is about serving. This is about Jesus. This is about making Jesus famous. Now, the church fathers, they had this issue after Jesus rose from the dead, and he kind of disappeared from the scene. He said, I will return, and sure enough, his spirit came. And so now they have the Holy Ghost of God. The spirit of Christ had returned, but Jesus was gone, and they had to start figuring out who exactly was Jesus. Now, he was a guy. It was like, it was like, it was like Brianna, right? It was like if Brianna, who's amazing, amen? Yeah. Amen. Come on, Brianna, amazing. <clears throat> Brianna will serve anywhere, serve anyone, not ask for any kind of, probably is very uncomfortable with me bringing out her name right now, like this, I should have picked someone else who wouldn't mind it, uh, but, um, and imagine if Brianna like taught people and we're like, whoa, that's super deep there, Brianna, and we just start following her and miracles, and then one day she's murdered, we're very sad, she comes back from the dead, we're very confused, she does miracles, <laughs> and she leaves. And then the spirit of Brianna comes and fills all of us with this love. And we're like, okay, Brianna's here in me, but I don't, you know, like she used to be a girl who sat on the second row and ran our children's ministry. Like, who was that, right? And so, like, for the first couple of years, we'd be like, oh, it was Brianna, right? Like, it's Brianna. But after 100 years, they're like, now, who was Brianna? And we're like, well, he was God. And they're like, oh, God. But he was a person. Like, wait a minute, it was a person or... Which God, or you know, and, and is her spirit here? Like, who is she? Right? Have you thought about these kind of things? Like Jesus, they had to figure out who is Jesus. Like, like this, this, this is a big question. And if you're going to follow God, we kind of need to be able to answer this question: Who, who is Jesus? Like, it's not just a, you know, he didn't just die on a cross so we can have like a form of jewelry, right? Like that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't the goal. Right. And, and so and so these early, you know, the early church fathers were like, well, we, we knew we were expecting a Messiah and the Messiah had come in the form of Yeshua Mashiach. Right. Like like Jesus, the anointed one, the anointed one being the Messiah or the Christ. But but what 
Is he God? Was he, was he not God? And around the 300s, uh, they decided, like, we, we're going to have to figure this part out. We're going to have to figure out who is Jesus. And so they, they, they said, okay, the first people, the, 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 Ar- the Arians, had nothing to do with what we consider white nationalism, the name after a man named Arius. Arius, he, he was teaching, like, Jesus was, was, you know, the father had a son, and the son is, is sent the spirit. And so the father is here, and the son is lower. The theological term is subordinated. There was a subordination of Jesus and the spirit to the father. Are you following me? And so they're like, all right, well, that, that, that kind of makes sense that the father sent the son. The son is a little lower, but, um, um, but, but, but that makes him less than God. He's not fully God if that were to happen. And so they wrote what was called the Nicene Creed, which you may have heard of if you come from a, a liturgical background. And, and, and they said, no, 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 Je- Jesus wasn't made. He was begotten from the father. Before all the ages, Jesus was begotten. And they're like, okay. That's great, but okay, what, what does that mean? Are there two of him? Was there spirit Jesus and flesh Jesus? What's happening? Are you following me at all? This is like important that we as spirit-filled believers have some decent theology. We don't want to just, I pray in tongues, that's enough. Like, no, no, we, we, need, we, we need to figure some of these things out, right? And so Jesus had these two natures. Follow me. He has spirit and he had body. So are there two of them? Was there One. And so they decided that he is one before all time. And so this one nature, these people said, oh, I know what happened. I know what happened. Um, he had this human nature. There was a human Jesus. And then he somehow ascended. And the spirit Jesus absorbed the human Jesus. And they became one. Now, the problem with that, of course, is now that the Jesus changed at some point, And that it goes against what they call the immutability of God, that God never changes. So if at some point these two became one, then God changed and, and God is not fully human and fully God. Because, now this is a little confusing, right? Are you following me? Or are we good? But you're like, they're like, okay, that, 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 that doesn't really work. If there's two, uh, he's not truly one man. Then if he's not truly man, then how does he represent us before God as man or as a minister? And so what they decided, they say, next they say, okay, I know. Jesus was a divine spirit, but he had a human body. Now, this one's important. They said that this divine spirit of God came down into a fleshly body. And so Jesus was the spirit and soul of Jesus, the man, this flesh that would be murdered, but this spirit Jesus would stay alive. These were the three, but the problem is that, you know, Jesus' body died on the cross and was resurrected. But the problem is that I don't just need salvation in my body. I need salvation in my mind. I need salvation in my soul. I need to be converted internally as well. So this idea that the spirit Jesus didn't die, but physical Jesus did, didn't fulfill what we need. It's not just our bodies. Some people need their wallet saved. Jesus had money. Some people say, amen. <clears throat> the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way. Now, I want you to think about this idea that Jesus was tempted in every way. <clears throat> when we say tempted, now, now, if you were to bring, let's, let's say, like, if, 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 um, if Duke dropped his wallet on the ground and it was filled with $100 bills, I'm not tempted at all to steal from Duke. You understand me? 
There was no temptation in that for me at all. Clearly, I'd say, Duke, here's your money. I give it back to you, right? Like, that's not a temptation for me, right? Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way. That means he had a fully corrupt flesh that he was able to experience temptation just like you and yet still overcome. This is a big deal because the Jesus Christ who was sacrificed on the cross was the same Jesus that struggled with sexual temptation. He's the same Jesus who struggled with wanting power. When the devil tempted him in the wilderness, he tempted him with power. He tempted him with authority because that was the call on Jesus and the devil tempted him to do it in ways other than the Father would give him. This is super important that we have a God who is fully divine but fully human. This is is who he is. Because Jesus overcame temptation, you can too. This is important to know. This is important to know. So they had this council called the Council of Chaldea. You don't have to remember that. So in the Council of Chaldea, they came up with the Council of the Creed, and what they said was Jesus was truly God, truly man, begotten before all the ages, just like us according to humanity, just like the Father according to the Godhead. No, so, so, so Jesus is humanly divine. This is our God. That, now, this is going, I, I'm going to leave this here. My wife told me not to go down this road, but I'm going anyways because I'm just driving recklessly. I'm driving recklessly. Driving recklessly. Jesus has always been the son of Mary before time existed. That will blow your mind a little bit. He's been the son of Mary. He was the God-man eternally, before he was even born from Mary. What does that mean? That means our God holds a special place at the center of time. Right at the center of time lays Jesus Christ. So on one side of time, you have the law that we could not keep. The other side of time, we have a righteousness we could not fulfill. Right at the center of that is Jesus who's able to perfectly keep the law and yet fully be righteous, bridging the gap for you and I, that we can be sons of God. Theology can be anointed. Understanding what God did, like you can only dig and find more of God. And so here's this Jesus that we follow, who who, who is orchestrating all things together, For good, you remember I've I've quoted this several times. Arrhenius of Lyons said, the glory of God is humanity fully alive. What does fully alive mean? You're fully alive when you're like Jesus. Jesus is humanity fully alive. And when we fully give our lives to God, when we fully live for His kingdom, when we fully see His love and His compassion and how He loves people, people and how he's willing to die for the stranger and feed the hungry and visit the poor and how he's willing to humble himself and go very low to serve people. The the way that he was fully alive, he never had to jockey for position. He never had to try to get the seat at the head of the table. He never had to try to get people to call him something or exalt him. He was fully alive because he was fully settled in his identity in God. And when man, when people, women, children, when you fully come into the understanding of who you are in God, how you're fully given to the Holy Ghost, how you're fully yielded to God, then you become 
fully alive and you become fully human. This is the humanity that God had in mind when he made you. Not this, oh, I have this sin nature and I have this God nature and they're two different natures and I'm fighting for... No, no, no. You have the truth and you have a lie. We, we, we have God's nature and then we have what Satan wants to corrupt. Those are the choices and God is like, man, I tell you what, I know you're worried of things failing, things not working out and eventually you dying. Here's what I'll do. I'll just take away the fear. I conquered death. I conquered death. You'll live with me forever. That's the worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you go to heaven and you live with me. That's it. So don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about popularity. Don't worry about if your body's going to look a certain way when you get older or if your hair's going to fall out or stay. Don't worry about it. I conquered it all. You're just going to live with me forever. That, that's, that's all that's going to matter. But this gets perverted over and over and over and over again, and we get distracted by stuff that doesn't matter. Paul knew this. He said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, he said, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. That's lying devils. They'll follow lying devils and things taught by demons. Man, can can you imagine following things taught by demons? Such things have come through hypocritical Liars. Remember, we've been talking a lot about how Jesus comes against hypocrisy. People who think they're better than other people, but really want to pull them away from the truth. That's the, hypocr- the hypocrites. I know better. I'm your teacher. Let me, you need to follow me, not them. Hypocritical liars. This is, this, is what, this is what Paul is telling. Hey, Timothy, here's what's going on in your church. I heard about the strife that you had. I heard about the drama. You have hypocritical. I know you think it's you. It's not. You got hit. The devil is at work. Watch this. Such teachings have come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as a hot iron. What's that mean? Okay, I'm a steak guy. Any steak guys in here? Steak ladies? Anybody? Brandon, I thought about you when I thought about this. Yes. So how do you make a good steak? Well, most of us don't make good steaks. We go out for good steaks. Here's how you make a, here's how you make a good steak. Are you ready? When you make a good steak, here's what you do. You get your steak and you put salt and pepper, good meat. That's all you need is salt and pepper. Can I hear an amen? Amen. That's all you need is salt and pepper, mostly salt, right? You put the salt on your steak, you get it in, and you put it on a hot pan, right? You put it on a hot pan, and, and then, then the one side gets kind of hard, right? A little, they call it, it gets seared, right? It's still raw in the middle, but you cook it. And then once that side is seared, you flip it over, right? And then the other side gets kind of hard and seared, but it's still raw in the middle, right? Then you put it in the oven and you let it bake. Why do you do that? Because when it's seared, the juices can't get out of it. They're sealed in there. It's sealed. It's, in, it's impenetrable. It's impermeable, right? Nothing can go in. Nothing can come out. It's there. It's, a little, it's got a little crisp on it, a little like, a, mm, it's good, but in the middle, it's still soft. Oh, it's delicious. So delicious. It's, mmm, ribeye. Done well. Mmm. I feel bad for y'all well done folk because it's supposed to be like a little pinkish on the middle. Don't be fearful of the medium steak. Don't, don't just, just next time you go to say well, just say medium well and test the word. <laughs> test the word of the Lord, right? When you go to the steakhouse, just test the word of the Lord and say, I'm in faith, I'm going to step out, I'm going to try medium well, right? Don't, don't say rare because that's gross, right? But just medium well. And one day you'll get the medium and then you'll land it in perfection, right? Needless to say, this is what it means to sear a stake. And what Paul is teaching here is, if you listen to these liars enough, 
your heart's going to be seared just like that steak. When you stop living for the kingdom and you start living according to the teachings of the devil, when you hear the truth, it can't get through anymore. The, the truth can't get through. Instead, you filter everything by the lies that have been told you. Because they have been led by like, well, it makes, makes good sense to me. And I'm like, of course it makes sense. Because you're not soft to the word. I just, I just caught words. You ever going to say something and you just catch the words? I, it's, it's because you've been listening to the lies of the devil. You're like, it makes perfect sense to me. Of course it makes perfect sense to you. Because you listen through the lies of the devil. Not through the, not through the truth of God's word. Not, 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 not through the, what, what is preserving the bond of love. What is preserving the unity of the saints. What is building up the name of Jesus Christ. What is making Christ famous in the earth look like. What is dying to sin and alive to God look like. What does it mean to go low and serve instead of exalting yourself. That doesn't make sense anymore. I remember when we got married, my wife's family is Jewish, of course, and, uh, and uh, they found out that we tithe. And to them, that was just the craziest idea in the world. And we're like, it comes from your book. I don't, I, don't know what you, I don't know if you've read it. You go to shul every day. I don't know if you got to that part, but it's in there. Right? And, and, and we're blessed because of it. Of course, it doesn't make any sense to you. Of course, it doesn't make any sense to you because we're living a blessed life. We're living a blessed life. I'm not looking for a prosperous life. I'm looking for a blessed life because the blessed life is prosperous in a way that will not rot and will not rust. That is the life I am looking for. Have you seen these Russian oligarchs? Have you seen these? They're just 100 billionaire, whatever they are. And like one day they're on top of the world. The next day their economy gets shut down and their, and their yachts are getting seized. Like the blessing I have, ain't no government can take away. There ain't a government on earth that can take away my blessing. You can't take this. You didn't give me the Holy Ghost. You can't take it from me. This came from Jesus. You can't take my call away. This call came from heaven. Ah, you can't take what Jesus done put on me. Come on. Christ himself came and anointed me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think you can come against that? You think you can come against the call of God in my life? You think you can come against the prophetic word that God had anointed me with, touched my tongue with the hot coal from the altar and told me to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth? You can't take that away. You didn't give it to me. You didn't give it to me. You're not the one who gave me the, the, the revelation. You weren't the angel who visited me in the midnight. Come on, and that's on you too. The call of God on your life cannot be surrendered to a man. The blessing God has for you cannot be surrendered, cannot be stolen, cannot be corrupted by anybody's evil desires. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. My wife and I had a conversation with someone recently, and they're like, I just don't know if I just want to keep, I don't know. They're like they're having a bit of a faith struggle. It wasn't really a faith struggle, just a religion struggle. You know the difference, right? Someone taught you religion, but it wasn't really faith. And you think it's faith, but it was really religion. You're like, no, no, what you need is your own personal faith in Jesus Christ. That's all that's going on. And they're like, oh, I don't know. And I don't know. My wife was worried and praying. I'm like, that boy, going, he's saved. <laughs> he got some praying parents. He got praying grandparents. He ain't going nowhere. I mean, he may or may not show up in church the next couple Sundays, but he, he'll go find Jesus don't got a hold of this boy right here. Too many prophetic words spoken over him. Too many prayers been put out for him. She's like, I'm worried about him though. We love that this boy is a good boy. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Grace of God is bigger than any stupidity this kid could be walking in. God is just bigger than all of this. Oh, Jesus. All right, here we go. <clears throat> I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. But you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do this on your own. And this is, this is the lie. 
This is the, this is the lie of the devil in our generation that it, I can just figure it all out and I can do it. And, oh, Jesus, help me. <clears throat> we have to avoid a faith structure that teaches you can do it on your own and God might help. <clears throat> we, we have to avoid faith structures that say Jesus can teach you how to have the American dream and, you know, you won't need him later once you get it all figured out. We, we, we have to live as followers of God. We have to live fully dependent on God. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about you. The last couple of years has shaken me. How about you? The last couple of years, I, I'm, 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 I'm not particularly happy about them. I'm, 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 I'm beginning to be thankful, though. I'm beginning to be thankful for them because there has been a shaking that has happened in me and around me. The Bible says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And some of us, you're going through the shaking. And you say, what is truth? What will stand eternally? And what will be consumed in the fire at the end of the age? And I want to build my life on things that will endure the fire at the end of the age. At night, my wife and I, we go to bed, and <clears throat> I tell you this all the time, but we hold hands and we pray every single night. We pray for you. Uh, we mostly pray for us. I'm not going to lie, but we do pray for you because <laughs> I desperately need Jesus. Amen. Amen. I desperately need Jesus. Amen. I, I, and so we pray, Jesus, like, just, just get us through to the morning. Like, if I could just sleep some of tonight, that would be great, you know? Like, just sometimes that's your prayer, right? Like, but, but there's, God's funny. In that God is, um, God, God is more than happy to throw you in the deep end so you'll cry out for him to help. He ain't going to let you drown, but he don't mind you feeling like you're going to drown. <laughs> Have you noticed? <laughs> Have you noticed? He don't mind you feeling like you're going to sink. Oh, he's all right with that. You're like, Jesus, throw me a life raft, and he throws you like a block of cement. You're like, this is not helping. <laughs> This is not helping. Not helping. Jesus does not mind you just struggling on your own to stay above water until you actually cry out for Jesus. And then sometimes you're struggling for water and he's just treading water next to you. You're like, you can walk on this. Like, I don't need to be going through this right now. Like, you say, I'm drowning here. I've got to be honest with you. I believe Jesus went through the same thing on his life on earth. I really believe it. <clears throat> we, 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 we read the story about he's in the boat with the disciples. And we, and we shame the disciples for being fearful in the storm because Jesus is sleeping in the boat. And we like to, we like to paint this picture that Jesus was, he was only divine. And he was just so at peace he could take a nap. Like, you know how hard it is to sleep in the middle of a storm on a boat? Jesus wasn't a fisherman. He was a carpenter. Well, I don't believe he was a carpenter, but that's irrelevant. So, <clears throat> but why is he? Well, if you, if you read the story leading up to that, Jesus had been working for days. Like, before they left, there was crowds of people wanting to be healed. And if you've ever, like, gone on a mission trip and ministered day after day after day, after day, you know how exhausting that is. 
right? Some of you have been there. It's exhausting. And Jesus, every waking moment that he wasn't on the mountaintop, he was ministering. And so we know there was crowds around him wanting to be healed. And and imagine there was this long line of people. Like if Jesus is just touching people, they're being instantly healed. Think about the crowds that would follow you everywhere. And at some point, Jesus had to say, I can't minister anymore. I'm exhausted. Now, Jesus was filled with grace and mercy. He is love. And at some point, he had to get to a person and say, the next person in line say, I just can't minister anymore. I, I have to physically leave here to get some rest. And so Jesus, here he is. Like, like you've got to believe he was emotionally torn. Like, I want to be helping all these people, but I am in a human body. I need rest. I need sleep. I need solitude. I have to leave this place. And so here he is, so exhausted, there's a storm happening. He's in the bottom of a boat, sleeping. And the disciples are like, Jesus. And I I can imagine him waking up and God being like, God the Father being like, I want you to go ahead and take care of the storm. We're like, what? Take care of the storm. Okay. It's not like he walked around like Superman, right? Like we get this idea and, and, and I heard this from someone recently, but this woman was preaching and she said, um, she was actually a theologian, and she said, we, we, we kind of have this idea of Jesus that he was like Superman Clark Kent. That sometimes he was Superman, but sometimes he put his glasses on and he was Clark Kent, you know? Sometimes he did stuff and sometimes he didn't. No, there was only one Jesus and he did what his father told him to do. You know what that means? He didn't always know what he was going to do or how to do it. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have to, the father wouldn't have to tell him. This is important. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Jesus had to follow the Father because he did not have it figured out. The Bible says that he grew in grace and wisdom. Or in in wisdom and favor, excuse me. He grew in those things. That means it increased. That means he learned new things, believe it or not. And we get upset when we're in a trial and we don't know what to do. And Jesus is like, man, I've been there. I, I, I have been there. I have been exhausted and thought I could not take any more. And then more bad news comes. I have been there. You have a Savior who has suffered and was tempted just like you. This is why theology matters. We better know who Jesus is. Or we're following an idol named Jesus. I don't want to follow an idol named Jesus. I want to follow the God-man Jesus who needed the Father to tell him, Son, I know you're exhausted. Just rebuke the storm. Rebuke the storm. And, 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 and this is what God wants for all of us. We, we, we talk about as spirit-filled people on the day of Pentecost, all this craziness happens and the spirit falls and we know Peter has no idea what to do. And somehow the anointing of God comes upon him and he stands. This is that which was proclaimed by the prophet Joel. You, you know this, we, we know this, but as we, as we, as we quote Joel in Acts 2.28 and as we quote Acts 
we, there's a context to this scripture. And in Joel, before he gets to this, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your old mean men will dream dreams and your young men will have visions. There was a precursor to that scripture. And if we go back a little bit in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, God says this to Joel. He says, even now, say even now. Even now, declares the Lord, watch this, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, and mourning, rend, or tear your heart. Now we're talking about that seared heart. This is what he's talking about. Your heart has been seared. Come back to me with fasting, and weeping, and mourning. Let your heart be torn by the Spirit of God. Rend your heart not just your clothes. I don't want some outward display. I don't want you to just to go outside and say, look how repented I am and put ash on you. He's like, no, let your heart be torn by the sin that's in your life. Rend your heart, not your garments. Render to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. This is the God we serve. Then he says, then I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. It's a promise, but it's a qualified promise. In 28, he says, it will come after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Do you feel like you've lost your vision today? Do you feel like you've lost your dream today? There's this whole deconstruction thing happening and I don't mock it at all. Hear me. I do not mock it at all. There are people who were raised in toxic religious cultures that are trying to figure out what was God and what's man. And what they're coming away with, unfortunately, is the most important thing in this whole conversation is me and what makes me happy. It's a wrong answer. The right answer is, it's been about me and not about God at all. I need to return to God the way he says to return. Return with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart. This is the answer the church is looking for today. To stop the sermons about how to have better sex or more money. And more teaching about who is Jesus what did he do? How do you serve him? What is the promise of the filling of the Holy Ghost of God? What does it mean to worship God with your whole heart? What does it mean to hate the lie and love the truth? What does it mean to hate the devil and love God? What does it mean to give your life to Jesus? Trusting in the afterlife will be better. This is the message of the gospel. So when you rend your heart, what, how, do we, how do we live in this filling of the Spirit? How do we live in a place where we are close to God and far from the devil? How do we live a life that's not all about me? God cares about you so much that this world is not about you. This book was not written to you. This book was not written to me. This book was written to people and we read it to learn about God. It's not God's instruction book for life. Following God is God's instruction book for life. This Christianity has got to be about more than what makes me happy. It's got to be, how do I live a life connected to God? 
How do we live this way, filled with the Spirit, following God? Well, the disciples asked Jesus, how do we do this? How do we live? How do we follow? And he said, here's how you pray. And if you're taking notes at all, write this down. Pray it every day. It's an unknown, very little known scripture that people in today's day and age have called religious. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And we called it Catholic because the devil didn't want us praying it. And here's, here's the Lord's Prayer. Number one, every day do this. Thank God for being God. Thank you, God, that you're God and I am not. You thank Him for being God. Number two, surrender your will to God. Your kingdom come. When you say this, your kingdom come, your will be done, that doesn't mean change them. That means change me to surrender to your will. The only person you're responsible for is you. I have two adult children right now. There's a transition that happens when you have adult kids that you're no longer in charge of them. And that's beautiful because they come to you and you're like, not my problem, right? But it's terrible in that they come to you and you see their life and you're like, not my problem. God, this is yours. Hard transition for parents to make in America today. Because we want them to be children until they're 25. And we have kids staying kids until 25. They got their God's children first. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Number three, ask God for your provision. God actually cares about your life, and He actually wants to supply your needs. But he wants to be your supply. Now, there is a way to pray to the idol Jesus that you get your will. But we want God's provision. And that means we do things with money that we may not want to do with money. Because it's his kingdom. I uh, recently, uh, the Lord had, so funny. <clears throat> the Lord had put on my wife and my heart to, uh, and this happens. I'm not, I don't, I'm not looking for a reward, so I'm not worried about. Uh, whatever. God, like, I don't know if this ever happened to you. The Lord was like, hey, this person has this thing coming up. Why don't you pay for it? And I was like, okay, because I thought I knew what it was going to cost. <laughs> then the bill came in five times more than what I thought it was going to cost. And the first amount was a little bit of a, ooh, okay, I think I can, I think we can. And then he was like, no, here's the actual bill. You're like, ooh. <laughs> And honestly, it took a day or two. Not for my wife, before I told her. <laughs> I was like, honey, being my accountability partner and all, I felt like I wanted to do this thing, and then it came out five times more. And uh, there's a certain level you can give without talking to your spouse, and then there's like, this is going to affect some things. <laughs> you know, like I could buy like new shoes without asking. If I'm a plan, if I'm a buy a vacation, we better have a conversation, right? So, so uh, I was like, well, your will be done, Lord. Like, I trust you for my provision, and I want to let you know that the money in my account is your money, and I'm just here to take care of it. Let me know what to do with it, right? And he wants us to pray every day for your daily bread, daily. Like, I don't have enough money for tomorrow. He didn't promise you tomorrow. He promised you today's bread. Don't drag tomorrow's bills into today, right? Come on, somebody. Number four. And this is where things get super, super, super spiritual. 
We need to ask for forgiveness every day. I grew up in a Christianity that was more concerned about me realizing I was already forgiven. And they completely disregarded the fact that Jesus said I need to ask for forgiveness every day. And as I recommitted myself, watch this, to the teachings of Jesus, instead of teachings of religious people who told me not to pray what Jesus told me to pray, as I committed myself to the scriptures and what Jesus taught, I didn't feel condemned. I just felt more and more close to the God who forgives. I was more aware of my need for forgiveness and more aware of his abundant supply of forgiveness. And what our society is dealing with today with shame, guilt, and anxiety is a population of people who need to know that they are forgiven. But it only happens when you ask for it. Can you say amen? And so every day, Lord, this is what I did wrong. And it's funny, when you start looking for it, it's not that hard to find. Come on up, band, if you would. I like saying that. One day a whole band's going to come up. Amen? Amen. And the last thing he tells us to pray every single day, deal with your bitterness. Forgive me my sins while I forgive other people's sin, how they've sinned against me. Does that mean you're supposed to judge everybody and how they've interacted with you? No. That's how you've judged people to be in sin. Deal with your bitterness. And in this season, hear me, I'm almost done. I've gone long, but I do not apologize. In this season, in our country and in the church, people feel so self-righteous, like they can walk in unrepentant judgment. And it is a bitter root judgment. It is judgment based on bitterness. Bitterness is because they have unrepentant sin. This unrepentant sin of judgment has turned into unforgiveness and people call it all kind of stuff. You know what it is? It's filthy sin that has separated people from hearing God clearly. Now, if we just became Jesus Christians and prayed the way he told us to pray, the pride that leads to this would be broken. I am not as amazing as I thought I was. I don't know everything I thought I knew. I'm not, I ain't got it all together like I thought. And maybe some of the ways that I'm calling Carl are not Carl, but they're Carl's desire to be somebody. You start recognizing these kind of things and then God can move in your life. Then God can begin to empower you to do things you could not do. Then all of a sudden, when you're in the middle of the storm, you're like, I don't know what to do. God's going to tell you something that you never would have thought of, and it's going to work. Psalm 139, the psalmist said, Search me, O God, and see if there are any unclean thing in me. These are the prayers we need to be praying. Because if we're not, then there are things controlling our lives that are not God, and it's not what you're created for. You're created to be an avenue of God's grace to the world. You're created to carry the anointing. You're created to come into purpose. Which turns to the prayer that I prayed for this person on Wednesday. <laughs> Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. If there's anything good in my life, it's God. There's nothing I'm building that's going to outlast me. From dust you were created, 
to dust you will return. Grandma Rosa used to say, don't try to be a big shot. Don't try to be a big shot. Oh, we live in a society that wants to be a big shot. We got big shot preachers having big shot affairs, destroying churches. Not taking a week out of the pulpit, staying in ministry. Offended if you point out their sin. Offended. Repent of your sin. I'm in sin. What? No, I'm too good to be confronted. That's the sinfulness of this age. Don't try to be a big shot. And so we come back to the teaching of Jesus at the wedding feast. You know the wedding feast he's preparing you for in this. At the end of the age, at the wedding table in heaven, there's going to be someone sitting at the head, and it ain't going to be you or me. There's going to be someone at the head of that table. His name is Jesus. And he's trying to let us know, hey, some of y'all are trying to sit in a seat that ain't yours. It's mine. You want to act like you're over people. I am the one sitting at the head. And you don't want to come to me thinking that you sit at the head of your life. Because if you're sitting at the head of your life, one day we're going to have a conversation and you're going to be humiliated. Here's what you should do with your life. Go ahead. Put it up. Go ahead. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself, he'll be exalted. The way up is down. Serving your brother, serving your sister. And so as we're in this Lenten season, we're late. We're a little behind the church. There's three tenets to, to Lent. These three things. And I want to challenge us between now and the Thursday before Easter. There's these three things. There's number one, prayer. Commit yourself to prayer in this season. We're going to have prayer tonight. If you want to pray with some folks, you want to learn how to pray, get around people who know how to pray. That's how you learn to pray. Number two, fasting. Don't you hate fasting? I would swear if it went in the Bible, I'd say fasting's from the devil, wouldn't you? I mean, like, that can't be God. But I want to challenge you, what, what, what many people do is they fast something, and it's not a real biblical fast, like they don't eat. Like if you can fast, do that, be comfortably uncomfortable, skip a meal and pray, do, do, do something, but give up something in this season. Maybe you need to give up a certain social media platform. Like, don't like, like stop sinning, but that's not a fast, right? Like that's not what we're talking about here. Like, I'm going to quit methamphetamines for Lent. Well, good, Yes. Not exactly what he's talking about. But yes, if that's going to work for you, do it. Right? But get, just give up something for Lent. So there's fasting, there's prayer, and they call almsgiving or generosity. Prayer, fasting, and generosity. Look for ways to be generous in this season. Here's what I want you to get from this, and then we'll... We're going to receive the Lord's table. Stand with me if you would. When you humble yourself to the teaching of Jesus, God will move you into your destiny. You say amen. I'm going to say it again. When you humble yourself to the teaching of Jesus, 
God will move you into your destiny. Now, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup. Ha. You declare the Lord's death until he comes. As part of my devotion life, I pray what's called the daily daily office. Christians all over the world pray these prayers. It's works its way through scriptures, works its way through, pray it with, I don't know, 100 million other Christians every single day. And it changes with the scriptures, Old Testament reading, the New Testament reading, the Psalms, it changes every day, but it always starts off the same. And Paul said, hey, before you receive communion, go ahead and check your heart. Make sure you're discerning the body. And so I will pray this prayer, and I'd like you to just kind of pray it with me in your heart. And then we'll receive communion together. Amen? The prayer goes like this. It says, Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we've done, by what we've left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Now, since we're on a little bit of a liturgical bent here, the church the world over believes that as you receive the Lord's table, you receive grace. And so what if today... His body broken for you could convey the healing of God into your life. Or the cup of the new covenant could heal your heart in such a way that you'd be whole or be filled with the Spirit. I feel the anointing right now. You feel the anointing? I feel the anointing. Hallelujah. Gabby doesn't have communion. I'm going to wait till someone gets her some supplies. I see Diane out there. She's going to get it. Thank you, Diane. I feel the anointing of the Lord. I asked Gabby if she's saved. She said she is. So she can receive the table with us here. It's important to have saved worship leaders. Can you say amen? Nice when they're followers of Jesus. Hello, Diane. Lord said, this is my body broken for you. This, this is the God-man who took on temptation took on sin and filled that gap between the law you could not keep and the righteousness you could not attain. Wow. Receive that sacrifice today. And at the same time, and here's what's going to happen. We're going to receive the cup and then we're going to sing and the Holy Ghost is going to honor the sacrifice. He took the cup of the new covenant. And this is my blood spilled out for you as often as you do it. Wow. You declare the Lord's death until he returns. Receive the cup. Wow. Sheba, Saraba. And so today I bless you. Hallelujah. Ready? 
as we have cried out to you, God, and rend our hearts. It's your promise that you would fill us with your spirit. And I, um, we're going to sing this song again. And if you need to be healed in your mind, your body, or your soul, or if it's time for you to get right with God, we're going to open the altar. No one's going to touch you. We believe that the altar is where heaven and earth collide. And I just would welcome you to come and pray. Lead us, Gabby. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Clear it with me. God. Yes, you are. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. Oh, the sweetest of loves. Healing. When my heart becomes free. Healing. And my shame is Healing in the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Your presence, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory God is what my oh, heart longs for to be overcome by your presence Lord oh Holy Spirit you are welcome here. come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. So listen, I know we're going late, but I just feel like the Lord is doing something. We're going to sing this through one more time, this, this, this bridge and chorus, but I just feel like there's people who need to lay their lives down right now. Thank you, Jesus. And just surrender to God, because listen you're fighting against it's not going away only Jesus can carry it and you've been trying to hold it together and Jesus has been like listen I got the life preserver I have figured this out already surrender to me now so that I can help come on let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become
sacrifice in your presence. We thank you that you're moving on our behalf. We thank you that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us right now. We thank you that you're fully God and you're fully man and that you are empowering us to live the God life you have prepared for us. I pray this week that you would give us divine appointments with people that we can serve for your glory. We pray this week that you would you would bring us to people who need to hear this gospel. I pray this week, Lord, that people would have gifts re-energized and renewed that they would see miracle signs and wonders. I pray, Lord, this week that we will be carriers of your presence in Boca Raton, Broward, and Palm Beach County and to the ends of the earth. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen. Can you give a clap offering to the Lord? Hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you. We love you. We love you. For those who can make it, we'll see you tonight. We have new invitation cards in the lobby. If you would grab a handful of them and give them to everybody who needs Jesus this week, we love you and we will see you tonight. Give it up for Gabby if you would.